0: Hello there and welcome to Defiance. I'm your host Peter McCormack and today I have an interview with Isaac Soul. Isaac is the founder of Tangle, a daily non-partisan political newsletter that tries to find the truth and represent both sides of the aisle with important issues relating to politics in the US. Now I originally spoke to Isaac about voter fraud and partisan news from my series Chaos but with everything that's happened since the election, especially last week, I thought it would be worth sharing the entire interview. Just on a personal note, I tried to keep my series chaos as impartial as possible. I did try and look at both sides to understand why there is so much division. Now, I do believe there is a liberal bias to both media and tech, and I am also concerned with how big tech can arbitrarily silence people. But with all that said, I also believe that Republican voters have been conned by Trump into believing things which are not true and the events at the Capitol building to me represented a dangerous escalation. For transparency, look if you know me, you know I'm not a fan of Trump. I am, though, historically a conservative voter in the UK. Now, this isn't the same as the US, but I'm not some deranged liberal or Biden supporter, as I have been accused. Sometimes you just have to call something for what it is. And the Trump lies and manipulation of public opinion to me is very hypocritical following his own fake news campaign. So I really think this is an interview worth hearing. I respect Isaac a lot. I think his work is fantastic. Now, this was recorded back in December. Obviously, a lot has happened since then, most notably these right in washington but i think it is extremely relevant as isaac has a very nuanced view and unique take on everything that is happening isaac also spent a serious amount of time trying to debunk all that wild accusations of voter fraud that were coming out from the republican side post-election definitely worth going to checking out the twitter thread he did god it was like 500 tweets long looking at every single accusation and debunking them now listen if you've got any questions about this you can reach out to me it's peter at defiance.news Um, Before we get into the interview, though, I do want to thank my sponsor Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin, consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange. Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. Are you a Bitcoiner? If not, and if you would like to learn more about Bitcoin, then please do check out my other show, What Bitcoin Did, which Kraken also sponsors. Bitcoin is a decentralized peer to peer digital currency without any central authority. By not having any controlling party required to validate transactions, Bitcoin is both trustless and permissionless. It is an opt-out of government fuckery. And as Edward Snowden said, Bitcoin is freedom. You can find out more at kraken.com, which is K-R-A-K-E-N.com. Also, if you're enjoying Defiance, you want to support the show, please do go and leave a review on iTunes. And as I said, if you've got any questions, you can reach out to me. My email address is peter at defiance.news. Isaac Mann, how are you?
1: I am doing pretty well. you know. I figured by now I would be exhausted, but I'm actually hanging in there so far. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling energized right now.
0: Good, good. Well, listen, I'm glad you're in my circle of people I know now. Um, I can't even remember how I came across you. Obviously, it was on Twitter. But uh, it's been really helpful having your work to try and deflect some of the arguments I've had. So I'm really glad that's happened. And I did really want to do a show about fact-checking and uh, disinformation, because there's this real big distrust in the in the media right now. So I just wanted to get you on and talk about some stuff. I think for us to kick off so people know who you are, because otherwise, if they don't get here, their bias are going to go, oh, he's just a bloody liberal. <laughs> can, you, can you tell everyone about what it is you do? Tell them about Tangle so they get a picture. And then I'm now a, obviously a Tangle customer, and I'll, I'll tell you about my my early experience
1: with it for sure. Yeah. So, uh, I am a political reporter. Um, I've been in the game for, you know, 10 or so years. Um, I was a sports journalist in college, wrote about some politics then. And then, Um, But but I grew up in in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is considered a bellwether county in the U.S. It's often like where Bucks goes, the election goes. And so I grew up amongst a lot of people who did not agree about politics. Many of my closest friends are Republican Trump supporters. Some of my closest friends are, you know, liberal Democrats, and they span the spectrum of like the furthest right and the furthest left. And as I was coming up as a political reporter— I noticed something that I thought was really scary, which is basically that depending on where I published my work, some people on the right would believe it and some people on the left would believe it based solely on where the the publication was on the kind of ideological spectrum and had nothing to do with what the actual content of the article was. So it didn't matter how well sourced it was, how well researched it was, how good my argument was you know, the, it was either dismissed out of hand or accepted based solely on the publication it was put in. And I learned that the hard way because my very first job was at the Huffington Post, which for a lot of people is a, is a liberal rag and the reason my first job was at the huffington post is not because i'm a raging liberal it's because the huffington post gave me a job and getting a job at a media organization is really hard when you're a journalist Uh, so i applied to hundreds of places and i got a job there and so i took it because that's what you do so about a year and a half ago i started this project tangle which is essentially a newsletter for people who hate what's happening in the media world can't stand what they see on tv can't stand what they read in some of the biggest papers in the country and the idea is essentially I'm trying to bring perspectives and views from the right and left under one roof and then offer my take transparently so I don't hide my politics on issues I don't try to you know obscure where I land or how I feel about a certain policy I say it overtly and I make my argument, but it's also surrounded by what the right's saying and what the left's saying, and then like the basic set of facts that we're working from. So... A lot of it is about, you know, letting people who are liberal readers see the really good arguments that are out there about an issue on the right and letting people who are conservative readers see the really good arguments that are out there from the left about certain issues. And the result has been really tremendous, which is that tens of thousands of people read it. I have thousands of subscribers and the newsletter has been endorsed publicly by you know, non-gender conforming Black Lives Matter activists on the left and like diehard Trump supporters who I grew up with who are now police officers in major cities in the US. I like two groups of people that I would bet the house on would never say that they like the same news outlet or the same political commentator have both given public endorsements to Tangle, uh, which I think is a testament to what I'm trying to do, which is just like, provide some some middle ground and some some reasonable discourse and so that's that's the gist of the newsletter and where i am now and um the attention has sort of turned up in the last couple weeks because i've been covering a lot of the allegations of election fraud in tangle right
0: well i will i will say right now hands down it's the best email I've ever subscribed to. It's brilliant. I mean, I've got a few <laughs> I like in my Bitcoin world. There's this guy, Marty Bent, who does a really great uh, email about Bitcoin, which is fantastic. Um, I'm a big fan of Matthew Taibbi's uh, emails, which I receive. Um, but this is hands down the best. And I'll tell you a couple of reasons why I really like it that really stood out to me. Firstly, when I get it, I know the topic we're going we, we, it's going to be on. Um, I also know how long it's going to take me to read it because you tell me. But I also really like that you make... Corrections as well. So some days I'm looking at this corrections. Um, as somebody who is, I don't really have real political skin in the game in the US. In that, well, I don't really have a, a, a need to pick a side. Like I'm based in the UK. I, I'm interested as a. Well, I feel embarrassed saying journalist next to you, but as a, as a content creator, I'm trying to understand what's going a lot on, on on in the US, and it's it's very difficult. It really is quite difficult. Um I'm definitely anti-trump um but I would probably live in a red state uh, but your emails I, I get it and I-, I I read it and by the time i'm I'm done i'm and I've only read like three since since I've got them so far. I'm kind of like shit I think I know what's going on now and I think I know how to form an opinion and I guess I think that's what you're probably were trying to do right rather than just you know uh, give the arguments that somebody wants to hear
1: yeah, I think if you're somebody who doesn't have like two hours in a day to spend on Twitter, scrolling through political news, reading the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post and New York Times. This is like a really good way to digest what's happening in 10 or 20 minutes and know that you're getting like a really holistic view of what the arguments are that are out there. I mean, one of the reasons I started this is that what I find is often the loudest and dumbest arguments are the ones that are presented as being representative of the left or the right so you know, a lot of people on the right will often frame, you know, the most extreme tweets from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez as being representative of the Democratic Party. And a lot of people on the left will take the most extreme tweets from like Charlie Kirk and say like, oh, this is the Republican Party. And the truth is, is that like neither of those people actually represent the vast majority of those parties. Some of the things Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says i think are true and some of them are representative of the party a lot of the stuff isn't and a lot of the stuff i think is wrong and the same goes for charlie kirk you know um and obviously charlie's a he's a conservative activist he's not a politician but there are plenty of people who like matt gates whatever who subscribe to charlie kirk's politics that are serving in congress um and so like i'm trying to show like there's actually a lot of ideological diversity on both sides and there are actually really good arguments that often get drowned out by those people who are like shilling for retweets and likes. And so that's sort of like that's that's kind of the the hope that I'm doing is like I, I want I want to elevate the conversation and demonstrate that for a lot of liberals out there, there are like really good arguments about, you know, limiting immigration or tax cuts or why we shouldn't make, you know, healthcare a public entity. That are coming from the right i'm not saying those arguments are all correct i'm just saying they have more merit than like oh these people are just racist or mm-hmm. whatever you know well y- y- what
0: you're going for is nuance which uh is uh, something that twitter in some ways has killed i know you get the odd tweet thread that does it it's also good timing. i've got two books i've read at the moment. here it's quite funny timing so i'm reading black and white thinking <laughs> uh, the burden of a binary brain in the nice. complex world <clears throat> I'm also reading The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt and this is really interesting as well when he starts to talk about something I didn't realize the reason there's a lot of disagreement are between the left on the right on issues and they can't agree on the basic facts is biologically or like the chemistry and the makeup of the brain is, is, is where their opinions come from so a really good example would, would be uh, let's say Colin Kaepernick bending the knee from the left you're thinking about Black Lives Matters, whereas from the right, you're thinking about disgracing the flag. So when people are arguing, they're not even arguing over the same point.
1: <laughs> right, yeah, and, and I mean, I think to that point, what's really challenging about what I'm doing is that I'm up against that. I'm not just up against the biology of the human brain and partisanship and how a clique works and what tribalism is. I'm also up against the fact that everybody is living in social media echo chambers that have, you know, made it so they're only encountering the views they agree with. And everybody is also identifying now with their politics as Mm -hmm. part of their person in a way that they never have before. So like, you know, 30 years ago, if I were to say like Republicans are idiots that would be taken a lot less offensively by most Republicans than it is right now, because the Republicans who weren't idiots would be like, "Ah, oh, no, I'm not an idiot. I have degrees in this and this. But now it's like, oh, you've insulted like who I am, my identity. And that identity politics is often ascribed just to the left. But it's not. It happens on both sides. And both sides are sort of like dividing up their own political groups into, you know, race and gender and religion. And and it's a, it's a really, really entrenched moment where, you know, political polarization is at kind of an all-time high in the country. And I am very, very vehemently trying to break that. I mean, I want it to be okay for people to change their views. I want it to be okay for people to say the person they voted for is a schmuck. I want it to be okay for people to have one view that is... In line with a republican talking point and one view that's in line with uh, a democratic talking point and i think the reality for me is that americans political views are incongruent they don't fit neatly into either party this is true of most americans um you know like i for instance Am left on certain issues like healthcare and immigration, which are really important issues to a lot of conservatives. But I'm also right on issues like gun control or free speech, uh, some religious issues, some issues related to Israel. And so, like, I see it in my own world where, you know, it's like I'm not allowed to have an agreement with a Republican because I have some democratic views or I voted for a Democrat in the last election and that's not Mm -hmm. how it should be, you know? And, And I think the proof of that is sort of like what we see in election results in America, which is that most often the election is determined not by the major policy issues of who are running, but it's determined by what the what the election is about. So in 2016, the election was about immigration. Most Americans tended to agree with Donald Trump on immigration. And so Trump sort of cleaned Hillary out. In this election, it was about coronavirus and more Americans agreed with Joe Biden on coronavirus. And that's probably why he won, you know, um, is, is they didn't like how Trump handled COVID. And so, you know, the election isn't Joe Biden winning doesn't mean 50% of Americans agree with him on healthcare and immigration and, you know, tax cuts and every other issue. It means they agree with him on like the major issues that the election was about. More people agree with him. and, And that is often how elections are determined. And there's just like no conversation about the nuance that's happening in that way in American politics right now, which to me is really sad, you know, and it's it's making us hate each other when we really don't have to do you
0: think that's maybe why some people in some of these swing states that um i read about didn't vote down the ballot they were voting for biden uh, as president but also then voting for a, a, a republican senator is that, is that how it works
1: yeah, there, there are a lot of interesting theories about that right now. I mean, one of the more compelling theories to me is actually that um, a lot of people who voted early were just interested in getting their vote in, in for president, and they actually didn't even fill out some of the mail-in ballots down the ballot. Okay. So there wasn't so much split ticketing as there was votes for the top of the ticket and maybe one or two races, but not a full filled out ballot. Um it's hard because in America we have secrecy laws about our votes so you're not your vote is protected. it's nobody can identify who an individual person voted for. so we can only look at the batches of votes as like an aggregate and so it's hard to identify like who voted for what person at the top of the ticket and down the middle. but th- there are some good theories. I mean you can see at least that, in a lot of states, Joe Biden ran ahead of the Democratic senators or members of Congress who are up for election. And so you could deduce from that that, you know, people like Joe Biden more than they like the down ballot Democratic politicians, which is kind of a repudiation of Trump, but also saying, like, we don't want total Democratic control over Congress. We don't want to just hand the whole house to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And so. That's sort of like the distinction that I think we're going to try and suss out in the next few weeks, but I don't, I don't think it's totally clear yet. Have you got any kind
0: of your own theories on why it's so hyper-partisan? Look, I've got mine because I'm making a series about this stuff, but if you've got theories on why it's become so hyper-partisan...
1: I, I, I really do believe that a huge overwhelming part of it is because of the media. I okay. mean... Again, like th- this is why I started Tangle. Like I can ask somebody in America right now, what TV show do you watch to get your news? What's your favorite website to get news from? And based on those two questions alone, I think I could guess 99% of the time accurately who somebody's going to vote for, who they voted for in the presidential election. And that's really bad. I mean, that's that's not how it always was. And it points to the fact that we are literally living in two different realities. And I, and you know, I spoke to you about this previously, Mm. but like, I don't mean that hyperbolically. And I, I, I always say that and people are like, Oh yeah, yeah. But I'm like, no, literally the country is in two different realities. I mean, we're seeing it right now where a huge chunk of the electorate is under the impression that Joe Biden somehow stole this election. And, um, I am personally trying to hold the line on the fact that we still don't have any evidence for that. But, you know, it, it, it in the end, if you just step out and look at it, you know, it's like three and four Republicans think that the election was stolen or wasn't done fairly. And so, you know, that's that is one of the few things that was left in America. One of the few institutions that as a whole people still trusted before the election, um, you know, Congress, the news media, the courts, all of these things, their reputations have been damaged in the eyes of your average American in the last 20 or 30 years. But going into this election, there was a general view and a strong majority of Americans who believe that, you know, the the person who got the most votes was winning the elections that we had in our country. Mm -hmm. And those numbers have plummeted in the last two weeks, which is really dangerous because that's kind of like the last bulwark for democracy, you know, is people believing that their vote is going to get counted fairly and that our elections are are tied to who voted for who, you know?
0: Well, yeah, it's funny. I was tracking those. Do you know those Gallup polls? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, So, and the only, the only thing that's gone up is uh, trust in the military and in small business. Um, okay, so if you think it's media, I mean, I I, I agree that media definitely plays a large part and social media, but I've been aware of partisan news, US partisan news, you know, for more than four years. I mean, this has been going, I've, I've been aware of it for quite some time. I think probably since I became aware of Fox um, when I used to travel over to the States. So do you think this is over time that people have gradually been kind of pushed into two teams? Or do you think the media is just getting worse in how they report and present the news?
1: Um, I, I th- Look, I think we've always had partisanship in the U.S. Um, I think the big shift comes at the advent of the 24-hour news cycle, which, you know, wasn't always a thing. It used to be people tuned into the news at seven o'clock. They watched their mm-hmm. ABC or their NBC or their CBS. They read The Wall Street Journal in the morning. And that was kind of like where they got that space from. But now, f- people are are literally at home watching Fox News and MSNBC for eight hours a day. I mean, I know people and voters who are like that. And they're right. when they're not watching that television, they're on social media. And when they're not on social media, they're talking to people who are in their inner circle of friends about politics. And a lot of those people are just being fed the same story over and over and over again. And at some point, whether you're on the left or the right, it doesn't matter whether that story is tied directly to reality. It's like, you know, we have tons of studies to show that the number of times somebody hears something regardless of how close it is to the truth sort of enhances that person's ability to believe it. And so, you know, if you're watching MSNBC and all you hear is Russia, 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 at some point, a few years into, you know, Donald Trump's presidency, you just start seeing Russian interference in every little thing. And you can see that in the psychology of the left, despite the fact that, you know, a lot of the allegations that we had in the year after the election haven't really proven out. Um, so, you know, and now, and now you see it on the right too. I mean, it's like this idea that Joe Biden is a socialist and that Democrats want to destroy the country and that they'll do anything to steal the election and all this stuff. That's not just being said now, it's been said for, for years and they've been hammering and hammering and hammering it. And now, We're seeing like, you know, the chickens are coming home, the roost, um, which is also worth noting that there's a phenomenon happening now where like the Tucker Carlson's of the world and even the Donald Trump's of the world, they're not driving the narrative anymore. There There was a time when like they would say something and the followers would would follow what they were saying. But what we're seeing now is like they're saying things and their followers are are breaking off from them and sort of paving their own pathway with the information that they had before. So like a good example of this is last night on Tucker Carlson's show, he told his audience that Sidney Powell mm-hmm. had been invited onto the show and he had given her numerous chances to present some of the evidence for her dominion voting system's, conspiracy theory, which is what it is. And she didn't provide any evidence. And he had offered her a huge slot on the show to come on. And he wanted just like a one pager of, you know, what are you, what are the allegations? How are you going to back them up? Whatever. And then she gets all testy with him and refuses to do it. And not only that, he says he reaches out to the Trump campaign and all the people they talked to on the Trump campaign also say that they haven't seen any of the evidence that Sidney Powell says that she has. So now everybody's flying blind there. And instead of Tucker's audience, seeing that and saying like, oh, wow, maybe this is just bullshit. They saw that. And they said the reaction was like Tucker turned on Sidney Powell, Tucker's flipped. And so like he has now lost the audience a little bit, which Is is actually pretty scary, and like you know, the same thing happened with Trump in the second debate. He said in the middle of the debate, he comment commented on Kirsten Welker, who is moderating the debate, and did you know a lot of people thought did a really good job. Mm -hmm. And he said something like, "Oh, you're being very fair tonight. Like I appreciate it." And he was totally serious. Like towards the end of the debate, he just pointed out that she had done a good job. And on Twitter, it was like all of his followers, a lot of Trump supporters, were like. Welker is so biased. It's clear she's in the tank for Democrats, whatever. And it was like they had come to this without Trump telling them to go there. In fact, he had said the total opposite. But all this information that he's been bombarding them with for years and years and years has made them so distrustful of the media that even if he, the leader of the media is the enemy of the people, says something like, oh, she did a good job moderating the debate, his supporters aren't buying it. And, and we're, we're at this point now where it's like... They're not driving the narrative. A bunch of people with all these years of preconceived notions and, you know, a Google search bar are going to find the information that they want to find on the Internet and go down the rabbit holes they want to go down. And now we have, you know, millions and millions of people who think that what was arguably the most transparent and secure election we've ever had was stolen from them under their nose.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. I found found that um, press conference yesterday. <laughs> That's a bit insane, and I, I do want to talk about that. But actually, can I just pick your brain on RussiaGate? So this is a topic I've never gone fully into because every time I look at it, I feel like I'm going to spend. I've I've like I spent a small amount of time in it, but I just felt like this is something I need months to look at, and I still <laughs> don't think I'll come to a firm conclusion. But obviously, I I, I I'm aware of the the investigations. Obviously, I'm aware that. Um, of what happened with the impeachment i'm, I'm also aware that it's, it's called the russian hoax but i'm kind of understanding that there was certainly a good reason to investigate the dealings with russia what was what was the tangle take on it all like where did you guys come to with it
1: yeah so look i am uh a skeptical reporter i'm not you know, a corporate media mouthpiece. The whole yep. reason I created Tangle is because I loathe that kind of reporting. So, in that vein, you know, I don't take what the FBI or the CIA says when they release a statement and report that, regurgitate it as fact. I think th- we have uh, hundreds of years of history to show that the US government lies to the people in order mm-hmm. to advance their priorities all the time. So I'm extremely skeptical of the things that they tell us. Um, It's also worth noting that we we don't have a ton of visibility yet into exactly what happened in the Russia investigation still, because much of the reporting around it has not been declassified. And Trump has threatened to do that repeatedly, claiming that it's going to help him improve his point. And as someone who's not a particularly big fan of the president, I support that wholeheartedly. I would love to see that. I think Mm -hmm. any reporter should want to see those things, Um, you know, assuming that they keep the people and the methods and the sources safe, because as much as that is like a bullshit talking point of the government from interviewing people from the CIA and the FBI and things like that, those are real risks is like we have people abroad in foreign hostile nations who provide intelligence, and we have to protect them. They're Americans. Um, so all of that aside, I mean, the Tangle take on it was Donald Trump did everything he possibly could to make that investigation a reality. I mean, the people that he brought on to his... When, when Donald Trump hired Paul Manafort to be mm-hmm. on his campaign, I mean, my phone was exploding with with text messages from friends of mine, sources, people I know on the Hill who are like... I cannot believe that he's bringing this guy on. He's like the most notorious scumbag in all of politics. When he hires Roger Stone to be on his campaign, it's like, okay, this this is a guy who like thrives and lives on his reputation as like a dirty trickster. So he brought in these people who were committed to going to the end of the earth and bending the rules as hard as they could in order to win the election. And you know, throughout that time, You have things like the the infamous Trump Tower meeting where we have email records of Donald Trump Jr. saying, you know, yes, I love the sound of Russian intelligence on Hillary Clinton. Let's go. Um, We'd love to meet, you know, when you're a presidential campaign and your campaign's already being monitored because of people like Carter Page or whoever that you've brought on your campaign that are political hacks who have gotten themselves in hot water in the past, that kind of stuff is going to cause the alarm bells to go off at our intelligence agencies. And so there's a part of me, at least, that certainly does not blame the FBI or James Comey or Barack Obama for, you know, their ears perking up and being like, hey, we got to have a team on this. We need to have some people on this because, like, nothing about this smells right. At the same time, the FBI is notoriously, you know, bullies and will also go to the end of the earth to get people to bend to their whim. And it became clear during Michael Flynn's trial, who was Donald Trump's former national security advisor, that the FBI cut some corners and that the FBI, you know, had basically found that he was innocent and then rescinded that finding in the last moment in order to to wage like a last minute campaign to pressure him into confessing to what I think was probably a rather benign phone call to like a Russian ambassador. And so, you know, neither side was guiltless in the affair. And I think ultimately the, the place where I land on it is like Trump was running a rather uncoordinated and unorthodox presidential campaign where they were shooting from the hip and allowing any person who, you know, would resemble some kind of loyalty to them to come join them and help. And that often included, you know, taking random meetings with people who they might not have understood were notoriously shady political actors. Uh, I think, you know, Trump's financial connection to business investments in Russia and other countries across Europe and the Middle East are very clear. I don't think there could be any debate. You know, the idea that he's standing on stage and saying, oh, I have nothing to do with Russia when a year before his son is talking on national television about how, you know, Russia is one of the biggest sources of financial support for the Trump organization. I mean, these things are not compatible. So like, mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 really hard in this landscape to shoot down the middle on a story like that, on a story like the Russian investigation, because it's like, I say one thing about Michael Flynn being treated unfairly and all these liberals are like "Hold, like you fell for it. They're working the refs. You're an idiot, you know, whatever. And then I say something about like, actually Donald Trump does have a lot of financial interests in Russia and Vladimir Putin could probably leverage him if he wanted to. And all these people on the right are like, Oh my God, dude, like your, your head's in the clouds. You have Trump derangement syndrome, you know, whatever. And it's like, Hmm. no, there's like a middle ground there where I can hold those things all at once. So, you know, I I haven't seen enough of the the Mueller report to say conclusively that Donald Trump, you know, was coordinating with Russia in order to win his presidential campaign. I don't think he was. I do think Donald Trump clearly has ties to Russian agents. I do think his campaign was very clearly contacted by Russian agents and in some cases took those meetings or at least had interest in taking those meetings. And, you know, I think like much of the Trump presidency, there's a ton of smoke and we haven't seen evidence for a serious fire, but um, it's hard for me to blame the FBI for doing what they did for investigating him. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if in four years or eight years or 10 years, we get some pretty damning or alarming you know, memoir from someone who was on the Trump campaign and actually participated in some pretty shady stuff that we don't know about today. I think, you know, historically speaking, the fact that we know as much as we do right now is not a good sign in terms of like, what are we going to know in 10 or 15 years? I mean, we saw that with Nixon. We saw it with Bill Clinton. We saw it with all these people that like, as the longer time went on from their presidency, the more of the really ugly stuff came out of the closet. And so, I imagine in you know 15 or 20 years there's going to be quite a bit of ugly stuff about the Trump administration that we still don't know about today, you know what I'm saying?
0: So that's why Trump had to call it a hoax, and that's why his supporter base <laughs> repeat that at every possible point, whereas I'm, you know, as an outsider, I was thinking, well, uh, from the limited amount of information I know or I've read, certainly there's something that required investigation. So, yeah, that kind of like a lot of smoke but no fire sound, sounds about right. Also, let me ask you, I don't did, – did you – cover or look into the lap, the Hunter Biden laptop situation because I, I am you know, not a fan of Trump and I've tweeted about him a lot, a lot recently. I often get people say, well, are you going to do an investigation into Hunter Biden's laptop? Are you going to talk about that and how they've been bought off by the Chinese? And I found the laptop, I don't know. I just didn't trust the basis of the story. I found it, I don't know. For some reason, I just found it like You found like a setup, found like a setup. But at the same time, there was a lot of weird stuff going on with regards to it. Um, I found it quite weird that you couldn't share the New York Post article. I understand Twitter's reasoning, but I still found that a little bit weird. I just found the whole thing a bit weird.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I wrote extensively about it. And I think the fact that a lot of people in the media tried to ignore the story or brush it under the rug was a huge mistake. I think Uh it created more intrigue. And I think it made it a bigger story than it needed to be. I wrote very critically about Twitter when they blocked the link to the New York Post story, when they were limiting the traction of the story. I thought that was a huge mistake, which they eventually conceded. I mean, Jack eventually said that himself and they reversed course. I think that the story itself is far less explosive than a lot of people seem to claim it is. Um, I mean, first of all, the general outlines of the story to me is that joe biden's son is an addict and a little bit off the rails and has used his dad's last name to repeatedly throw himself into every business venture he possibly could and the evidence that we have that joe biden knew about that stuff is fairly strong i mean The idea that Biden and Hunter never talked about what he was doing overseas is just laughable to me. Of course Mm -hmm. they did. Um, I'm sure Joe had an understanding of at least some of the places where he was working or the investors he was talking to. But the idea that Biden was profiting off of this while he was vice president or was involved in these deals in terms of having an actual stake in them is pretty much non-existent. I mean, even the guy who brought forward all these emails and and claimed to be on the email chains. Um, First of all, I think the emails are real. I think they're all real. I, I haven't seen anybody prove that, you know, they weren't, but you know, they show that these guys were all, all these foreign guys were trying to leverage Hunter to get to his dad. And in almost every case were unsuccessful, with the exception of one meeting that apparently happened when Joe Biden wasn't vice president in 2017 and wasn't running for office because it wasn't around the time of any presidential race and he went to a meeting and nothing ever came of it like i mean the 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 pretty much what happened was according to the email chains which i've read is they went to the meeting and Biden sat down with the guys and thought that it didn't really smell right or, you know, he wasn't interested in the business opportunity and it was a no go from him as Hunter put it. And, you know, then Hunter went on without this guy Bobulinski who was like sort of the center Fox news character in this whole thing. And that guy has said repeatedly when he came forward, you know, the, what gets buried in the lead in the story is that he came forward because people were accusing him of being part of some Russian disinformation campaign. And he was a veteran and he wanted to say, I'm a real person and this really happened. This isn't some Russian disinformation campaign. But he never came forward and said, oh, I have Joe Biden's signature on this contract. And he, we, I was helping wire money to a bank that Joe Biden was associated with. He never said that. He said Hunter was a scumbag and was trying to do all these things and work all these angles, leveraging his last name to get involved with these failed business ventures. And all of that is pretty much true. I mean, I I don't, think that, Mm. you know, there's a, there's an angle there, um, where it's, it's, it's like, you know, based on the emails alone, we can see a lot of that stuff pretty clearly. What I did think was that, um, it was really horrific what the New York post did in publishing the stories and that they shared all these photos of him passed out with a pipe. And, you know, look, I grew up in a in a town that has been ravaged by the opioid epidemic. I have friends who have died of heroin overdoses. You know, I have family members who are recovering addicts. Like that, to me, was disgusting. It was horrible. Mm-hmm. I thought how Trump handled it in the debates, talking about his crackhead son who's yep. doing coke or whatever. I Like, I mean, that, that kind of shit really does make my blood pressure grow up because I see a lot of people I care about in Hunter Biden. I, I've seen that kind of person before. Um, And I thought all of that was totally unnecessary and was a really trashy thing for the New York Post to do. But I did think that there was some merit to talking about the validity of like these email chains that had, you know, business dealings and Joe Biden and all this stuff tied in. And I wrote about that. And, you know, look, we're I know there's more important things to talk about now because of the election and all this stuff. But I think it is worth pointing out that like nobody on the right is talking about that crap anymore the story has basically died in the wake of the election and it's not just because we have this whole election conspiracy theory stuff to talk about and the overthrow of the election and whatever and the election being stolen and fraud it's because it was being used as a political tool to to bludgeon biden and i don't think we ever got any Inkling of, you know, a courtroom or even the Republican-controlled U.S. Senate who is taking a lot of those allegations seriously. Um, you know, even the Wall Street Journal wrote a story that poked quite a few holes in the idea that Biden was ever a part of any of these business deals, that Joe Biden was ever a part of any of these business deals. So, you know, I think the story became a much bigger deal because a lot of people in the corporate press tried to ignore it and Twitter tried to censor it and um, you know, I think that that all made it quite a bit worse.
0: Again, <laughs> it's the nuance and the detail. It's not this. This is a problem. It's that it becomes binary arguments, and we can probably blame blame that on two hundred and eighty character arguments. It's kind of like um, either it's a, 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 a Russian plant by, by, uh, that's gone to Rudy Giuliani, and it's all fake, or it was a uh, or it's um, Joe Biden is uh, a, a, a on the pay of the Chinese. And I kind of I kind of felt like neither were real but again it's just wading through all the content to try and figure it out i mean i don't have the time with some of the work i'm doing so i'm glad i'm glad you're doing it as well um okay i mean that's really interesting and the way these things die what you said that is also really interesting like benford's laws benford's law has died as a story now that's just completely um you know these there's, there's been so many different stories like that that have come and gone and died um But it's really interesting how quickly they spread online um the speed at which something will spread and it's almost like the damage they're able to do the damage by by having a story out there and then they can move on to the next one and i felt like you you talk about this alternate realities i i I watch what's going on at the moment and i have people shouting at me on twitter which you're aware of because i've been using your work as defense telling me i don't understand you're gonna see this dominion vote in this You're just a sucker for mainstream media. You just watch CNN all the time. You've seen it all, right? You've seen the people saying... And I find it really difficult, Isaac, because what I'm seeing, what is quite clear to me through my eyes, is Donald Trump lost an election. What was you know, a fair and free election? It was monitored by uh, independent monitors, which they invited, which didn't find any problem. There's been no evidence of fraud. Um, It seems to me he's... I don't know exactly what he's doing, but he has some kind of strategy to hold on to power for longer than he should right now. That's very clear to me. He's also, to me, he's very clearly a liar, and his administration lies a lot, him and his press secretary and everybody else. So I'm seeing that, and I just can't understand why other people don't see it. Sometimes I don't even know how to deal with that. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think, again, a lot of people have been really ripe and been, you know, set up to buy a lot of the stuff that's coming out now, which is, you know, based largely on distrust of everybody, distrust of government, distrust of election workers, distrust of citizens overseeing the election, distrust of everyone in Congress, whether they're Republicans or Democrats distrust of the independent groups that are monitoring the election. Uh, and it is hard. I mean, it's hard to reconcile for me, especially as somebody who tries to speak to a lot of the nuance and shoot down the middle on all of this stuff. It's really, really hard. Um, you know, I think the main thing that I am trying to emphasize is you know, a, the, the security of the election, um, 95% of all ballots that were cast in this election were put on paper ballots. Okay. So you can't hack a paper ballot. Every one of those paper ballots or, or every, every battleground state that matters, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, all of those states had all paper ballot voting with one small exception, which is that some people who had disabilities voted on like handicap accessible machines, electronic voting, extremely small margin of voters, but they're out there. So we can literally go and recount these votes like we just did in Georgia and look at the hand counted ballots and determine whether A, a machine was somehow flipping votes without us noting noticing which is one of the most absurd possible things that people have suggested i mean you know this this popped up in michigan because of what we has now been explained basically as a, a county clerk, who was a Republican, by the way, screwing up a software update on one of the Dominion voting machines. And the reason it was discovered so quickly is because we have a bunch of guardrails in place, like canvassing and post-election auditing and recounts that check these kinds of things. And so it was found. So so first of all, that 95% of ballots and the fact that all the swing states had, mail, had uh, paper ballots in this election, is something that is not typical. In 2016, almost all of Georgia was electronic voting and most of Pennsylvania had electronic voting too. And so the paper balloting was introduced as a sort of way to to improve the security of the election. So that's number one. Number two is the transparency of the election was actually fairly historic. I mean, the thing that continuously blows my mind is most of these videos and the visual content that's alleging fraud is... Stuff from live streams inside polling places across the country in Detroit, in Philadelphia, in Milwaukee. I mean, we literally had cameras running inside the polling places, filming people counting the votes on top of poll watchers, bipartisan poll watchers being present in all of these precincts, which, by the way, the Trump campaign has repeatedly alleged that, you know, they couldn't get poll watchers in, whatever, they go to court. All of those cases have been dismissed because guess what? They're all bullshit. Even judges who are Republican Trump appointed judges have thrown out these cases claiming that poll watchers weren't allowed to do X, Y or Z because none of it was actually true. Um and so that's one and two is just transparency, security. And then number three is, you know, the, the entire election now at this point is actually not that close. Just like, like as a general historical context here, you know, everybody keeps talking about how the Bush v. Gore took 37 days and, you know, they it, they had to recount all the votes and everybody took their time and the media called it wrong that election was decided by 537 votes in one single state. The whole election hinged on those 537 votes. The closest Trump is in any of these swing states is like 12,000 votes. It's over 20 times the margin that that recount was triggered by in Florida. And you know, in Pennsylvania, it's not very close at all. It's it's upwards of seventy thousand votes now. In Michigan, it's two hundred fifty thousand votes. Even in Wisconsin, twenty thousand votes. I mean, that's way outside the margin of you know what a recount or an audit is going to change. We saw in Georgia, they had two incredible, unbelievable, I admit, shocking fuck ups in Georgia these one election worker apparently didn't upload an entire memory stick of like 2,300 2, votes or something. And another one uploaded it, but the count happened incorrectly. Another software issue on one of the, the about the voting machines that they caught in like the post-election ballot, post-election audit. And those two mis missteps in that election you know, added a few thousand votes total to the to the race, which historically speaking is like unheard of. I mean, most of these audits and recounts change an election by a few hundred votes. So I will admit I was shocked when I saw that that happened not once but twice and that it actually changed the total number of votes counted by two or three thousand votes, maybe three or four thousand votes. But it netted Trump, you know, less than 2,000 votes, even in that unbelievable, unthinkable, historic screw up in a race that he was trailing 14,000 votes behind, he's still losing by 12,000 votes. And Georgia just hand recounted 5 million ballots. And those are the two mistakes that they find. And now the election's certified and it's over. And so, like, you know, that was arguably the closest race of this entire election. They just hand recounted 5 million votes. They found two mess-ups that were two bulk voting mess-ups. Both happened in Trump-heavy Republican counties where the clerks who screwed up are more than likely Trump supporters. And they didn't find any fraud. They didn't find a bunch of dead people voting. They didn't find a bunch of ballots being stuffed by Democrats for people who never registered to vote or whatever you know, the theories are. They didn't find Dominion voting systems switching a bunch of votes. They found that they actually, outside those two memory sticks, nailed the election amongst 5 million votes and did it with the whole country watching. And they just spent a week hand counting, hand recounting all those votes to appease like the conspiracy theories that were out there. And now where are we? You know, it's like everybody's going to move on from Georgia. It's you'll see it in the next day or two. It'll be we're going to stop talking about Georgia. We're going to start worrying about whatever is, you know, what the electors are going to do in Michigan or whatever. And they're just going to keep jumping to the next thing until there's no more plays left and and i don't know what to do with that you know it's hard to it's hard to manage that
0: what about these two um republican michigan leaders that trump's invited to the white house and the kind of story circulating about how what he's trying to do there what is your take on that
1: say that again i'm sorry what is my take on
0: and so trump's invited two michigan republican leaders to meet uh, in the white house what is your take on that
1: I think that he's gonna try and pressure them into you know delaying the certification of the vote or auditing the vote and dragging the results out um, a little bit longer you know i I', I do, they're not giving a clear answer on what they're doing or why they're doing it so i, I it's hard for me to come to any other conclusion besides that. but um, I mean if you
0: game if if you game through he obviously wants to win the election by hook or by crook, right? It's very clear if I trust everything you're saying, this was, uh, uh, and I believe it was a fully free and fair election. Have you, like, have you gamed out yourself some of the potential ways they can steal this election? Well, I still, still, is that a fair word? Yeah, it probably is.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, for sure. I've been writing about it a lot, and the answer is they can't really. I mean, this is what makes America one of the greatest countries on the planet is that we have systems and institutions set up and guardrails for moments like this. And a lot of people are really worried about what Trump is doing. I am not one of those people because, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he hasn't so much as dented the institutions that we have, let alone completely topple them, which is what he would have to do in order to remain president in an election that he lost is clearly as this one. Um, You know, if the race were close, like it was in Bush v. Gore in 2000 and it hinged on one state and one state's laws and less than a thousand votes, then, you know, we'd be in a totally different place. But he'd have to. I mean, even theoretically, let's just say Trump pulls off the most unbelievable crooked upset special win ever and gets michigan to not certify their 16 electoral college votes he still loses the election i mean that puts biden at 290 to whatever trumps are and the election's over and biden's still president so like he'd have to do that in multiple states in places where the state electors have already said repeatedly they're not going to buck the will of the people so like bringing in the GOP legislator. I don't know exactly what plan they're cooking up. It's probably a plan to advance what they want to advance politically, but the state legislator doesn't get to decide whether the electors cast their ballots for Joe Biden or not. The electors are going to do that. And the Supreme courts ruled repeatedly about faithless electors and the fact that they have to abide, you know, it's unconstitutional for them to not abide by the will of the people. And so, you know, there are just too many guardrails to to stop him. And so what I think is you're going to hear a lot of noise. Maybe we'll get a delay. Maybe there'll be another audit. Maybe there'll be a hand recount. Again, remember in Michigan, the, the margin is... 250,000 votes. So we just did this whole charade in Georgia and an election decided by 12,000 votes, 14,000 votes, and it wasn't even close to changing the results. So you can imagine what a joke spending money on a recount in Michigan would be. But if they decide to do that, you know, my opinion is let them do it. Anything to increase everybody's confidence in what happened. Um, but, you know, he's lost, you know, 30 of the 32 cases he's brought post election to court. Um, the state electors so far have all indicated that they're going to vote, cast their electors with the, with the will of the people, which is how it should be in our country. The, you know, the pre-election Supreme Court decisions kind of lean towards Democrats, despite the conservative justices having a majority. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't think he has any outs. I don't know what the end game is besides just keeping his base on board in the belief that he's a winner, but, um, you know, I don't I don't think he has any path toward changing the fact that Joe Biden's going to be inaugurated on January 20th and I think you're going to see Republicans will start bailing on him um, because the the courts will just keep laughing everything out of court. Judges will keep laughing everything out of court. The electors will start certifying the election like they just did in Georgia and once all those dominoes start falling at some point the congressional republicans are going to have to be like all right we entertain this for long enough see you later like we have a country to go run and we got to stop joe biden and um yeah, you yeah. know they're going to move yeah. on to the georgia race all that stuff
0: all right let me ask you something a bit different um you obviously have to do a lot of research what you do can you give me some idea about like trust what you believe are trusted resources outside of yourself like other um, media properties i've historically liked the new york times um but i get Criticized, I get told, Oh, you must be a New York Times reader for some of my opinions. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, crap, because I do read the New York Times. Now, look, I'm fully aware of what they did with the Iraq war, and I'm fully aware of what Judith Miller did. I I think she was wrong. Um, but I also do think they do some good reporting. But it tends to be article based. Like, um, I read this one yesterday about this guy who was reaching out to Republicans. I thought it was chunk. But there's other stuff I've read that I think is really, really good. Um, I'm also uh, i like uh the associated press i like reuters um what, what can you recommend like what are good trusted resources that you like
1: yeah i mean first of all i i'll say i'll say a few things one is um it's important to distinguish between like what an editorial and opinion page is writing versus what the news team is writing yeah. um i very much like the new york times and trust the new york times for specific kinds of reporting like things on the palace intrigue in the White House, what are advisors saying? What's Trump feeling? You know, people like Maggie Haberman get a lot of criticism. I mean, I don't see anybody who touches her in terms of the access she has to Trump and the history she has. I mean, she was a New York City reporter. She's been covering him and people like Rudy Giuliani for 30 years Uh, as a professional journalist, and so she really understands these people. She understood Trump way better in 2015 and 2016 than a lot of reporters did back then, and through 2020, Trump continued to give her interviews, continued to talk to her, continued to call her to make his points, and I think she's done a really good job reporting a lot of the stuff about his administration. Um, Now, I think if you read one story, say you want to read something about you know, the Russia investigation, you could read the same breaking news item in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. And despite both them being fairly credible news outlets with professional reporters and editorial standards, they are gonna cover that same story in different ways. Like the stories don't read exactly the same. They don't use the same quotes. They don't use the same sources. They don't cite the same statistics. And that reality, is exactly why I created Tangle because like, I think that you need a holistic view at what all of these places are reporting together. So, you know, the first thing I read in the morning is the Wall Street Journal and that's very intentional. I do that because I think my politics are like center left and I think the Wall Street Journal is like a center right news outlet. And so I like having the table set by somebody else because I think that brings me closer to the middle. Makes me understand like what's going on. They're very economic focused. They're very like what's happening to the healthcare system, education system, how, how are jobs looking? I think those are like they tend to report on a lot of things that matter more and the most to Americans versus like, you know, what the latest drama in the White House is, which is what you might find on the cover of the New York Times. And yeah, so I I trust the big three. I trust The Washington Post, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, and I trust them because they have the best reporters, the most experienced, at least, and the best sourced. Um, I trust them because they correct their mistakes the most often. Uh, When they make errors, they often you know, they update their stories. Sometimes it's too late and the stories have already spread and they screw up. Every media outlet does that. Um, But you're more likely to read uh, an honest correction that's detailed and explains how it happened in the Wall Street Journal than you are in like Fox News Digital. Um, And, you know, I think Associated Press and Reuters are probably the best at using neutral down the middle language. So like if you just want like the straight facts of the story, I think they're the closest there are to the middle But they don't have the same sourcing and on the ground reporting that a place like the New York Times does or the Washington Post does that have like those insiders. Um, So, you know, it's really hard for me to just say like, oh, I trust because all of those places have made really catastrophic mistakes and all of those places have reporters that have biases but, you know, I, I think those things are good. And I also try and look at, you know, actual government data to look at, you know, if I'm covering a story, I'm covering an issue like gun violence, um, you know, I'm going to look at the government data. I'm going to look at what, you know, an organization that's been around for 20 years says that tracks reports, police reports of shootings and uses that to inform like what their gun violence rate is in certain states. You know, there are places outside of news organizations, nonprofits, organizations, research organizations that understand certain issues better than a reporter at The New York Times might. So, you know, um, it's hard to say exactly what I trust, but I think the grab bag and the balance of I have these 20 places I go that I like I can believe are going to at least try their best to present fair information. And if I get all of the information from each of those places, I can find some middle ground that's going to be pretty on point Um, or at least give readers like what the multiple sides are. Then, you know, you can come to a conclusion that is closer to the truth, I think.
0: Yeah, that's interesting to hear because definitely I've been shamed into believing I should not be reading these publications. But at the same time, it's like, well, I have to have some sources for my news. Um, I like to have sources that I know have fact-checking departments and uh, legal teams. They know there's consequences if they make mistakes. But I also, I don't take it as gospel because I, I know these people have made mistakes. I also know they have a bias. And so I, perhaps the Wall Street Journal might be the good flip side to the New York Times for me as well. Okay. All right. Well, listen, look, this is it's fascinating. <laughs> I could talk to you for hours about this. Um, I do, before we close out, because you did tell me you're a Bitcoiner and I do have a Bitcoin show. So we should just have a little, we should touch on Bitcoin a bit. So tell me, you're a Bitcoiner.
1: I own some Bitcoin, yes. I also, um, the big bet that I made was on Ethereum. Okay. And I bought Ether about four years ago when they were okay. like $12 a pop. Yeah. And um, I fucking cashed in, man. Um, when did you sell it? What price? I, well, I, I'm still holding like 30 or 40, but I sold pretty much all the way up. Uh, I screwed up a little bit. I, I probably sold, you know, through 500 and 600, and then I stopped, and then it got, they broke 1,000, and then I thought, Holy shit! This thing's just gonna keep going, and then I wrote it all the way back down to five hundred, and then I sold some more, and now I've been like trading back and forth since then. So I missed the big one, which would have been like some life-changing money. But you know, you live and you learn, and now here we are. Who knows? I mean, you tell me. What should I do? What's going to well, happen?
0: Well, I think you should sell all your Ethereum and convert it into Bitcoin. That's what that's what I would do. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, like, look, the the tricky thing. I, I'm only Bitcoin now. I've I traded. I bought ETH. Firstly, it's about about three years ago but probably similar time to you though but i think it was about three years ago there was like nine dollars it was started 2017 i bought a load sold some at 200 and watched it go up but i uh about a year and a half ago i just went bitcoin only i, I realized like long term it's the only one that really matters and with bitcoin i'm like happy to hold it for 10 years um i'm very confident that bitcoin will we're going to set a new all-time high very soon i'm very confident in the next year or so it will break 50. And long term, I'm very confident it'll be in excess of a hundred thousand a bitcoin. But I don't want to tell you to do it just in case, just in case, just in case it goes wrong. Yeah. But that's my view. Like uh, I, I, I trust the devs, the devs, the people around Bitcoin more. The, just long term, I trust it more. And I don't trade. So if I'm going to buy a, a cryptocurrency, I'm going to hold it for a long time. And for me, the only one's Bitcoin. But then, my show is what Bitcoin did. <laughs> do you? Uh, yeah. Well. Does, does the Bitcoin stuff come up in? Does it like? Is it crossing any of the work you do? Is it becoming?
1: Um, there's been some really interesting talk in the political world about a blockchain election, uh, okay. which which I think is, um, you know, a compelling idea. I, I know that there are a lot of advocates out there that view the election system we have now as archaic and insecure, and um, I certainly believe that like a public ledger and an open source code could serve the election system and i could see how like Uh, You know, an election that is traced on the blockchain could be more reliable than certainly, you know, an election that happens with the same security like banking does, Mm. you know, uh, what a lot of people say in the political world is like, oh, I can deposit money from Wells Fargo on my phone. Why can't I vote on my phone? And it's like, well, actually, what you're doing on your phone with your bank is not as secure as you think it is, as has been evidenced by like every single major hack we've had in the last 20 years where. Mm. You know, somebody got your stupid password, that's your birthday and stole all your money, you know. Um, But the blockchain does offer, I think, some solutions where if things go wrong or deviate from what's normal, we can really trace what happened. The issue is that, at least in America, the ballot secrecy is like really crucial. That's, you know, and so it's hard to know if, say, I vote on my phone on some election blockchain Without seeing my vote filled out on a ballot and without scanning it in a machine and watching it be tallied for whoever I voted for, then, you know, I'm I'm sort of left in the dark that by the time my vote gets to where it's supposed to be it's the same as it was when i cast it yeah. and i don't understand blockchain quite enough to know how we might be able to solve that problem but i do think that's like we have to be able to solve that without exposing who somebody voted for and that to me is could be a tricky path forward
0: yeah that's come up a few times uh, i know I'm, some of the people i know who work in the space they're not very keen on the idea of blockchain voting they think there's a number of issues relating to the idea I I'd have to go back and dig it out. I think one of the issues is you have yeah you know, blockchains and uh, 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 cryptography is based on having your own private key and what happens if you lose that private key? And so I think there's some issues related to it. I guess I was more asking like have you ever come across the stuff like when Steve Mnuchin is talking about Bitcoin or yeah.
1: Ah uh, yeah yeah yeah. Um uh, yeah, I mean the my feeling is that like in America, at least, the regulatory arm of the U.S. government seems pretty resistant to bringing in a new currency um, and, you know, or or at least bringing in a new way for people to pass around U.S. dollars. Uh, They seem, as far as I'm concerned, this administration and past administrations have seemed very adversarial, particularly you know, represented by the fact that they're like when they think of blockchain, all they seem to think of is like Silk Road and human trafficking and drug use and like criminals using it and and that kind of stuff. Um, so I am not particularly optimistic that this or even potentially a Biden administration is going to be friendly to welcoming in some of these, you know, blockchain supported currencies or whatever into like a U.S. regulatory arm but I do think that the generational shift we're going to see in Congress in the next ten or twenty years makes it pretty much inevitable. I mean, I don't know yeah. how it's not going to happen, you know. Um, well, you got Cynthia Loomis people...
0: in Wyoming. She's a Bitcoiner. She's a yeah.
1: There's a there's and she's she seems to have been pretty successful in implementing it. Right. Um, they've sort of like brought it into the the system there in a way that other people haven't. That now all these I saw. I just was just reading an article that all these blockchain people are like flocking to wyoming yeah. now right to well, start they're, businesses they're, and stuff
0: they've given two bank licenses i think now for crypto banks so that's kind of interesting I, i'm speaking to cynthia next week actually uh, but she's a bitcoiner so i think you're right i think i think it's probably coming well listen isaac uh, fascinating to talk to you i'm sure we're gonna stay in touch over these coming years and um, if i like if i can ever help you let me know but tell people where to sign up to uh, tangle and i highly recommend people at least go and check it out i think it's fantastic
1: yeah, um, Tangle you can get on tangle.substack.com. Uh I apologize for the crappy URL, but if you just Google Tangle Politics or whatever, um, it'll come up. I'm sure you'll have the link in yep. the show notes. Um, you know, and I also encourage people they can check out my Twitter page, which is Ike IKE underscore Saul. Pinned to the top of that page is a thread. Where I've been tracking a lot of these ethic. voter fraud claims. Um, you know, you and I didn't get into some of the finer details about a lot of these claims, but I assure your audience that I am uh, skeptical and open and um, interested in the stuff that's out there. I believe election fraud and voter fraud is real. I know that it happens. I do not think the most viral claims that have been out there have any merit or evidence in this election. And I think I've done a pretty good job proving that. And so, you know, I'd, I'd love for people to take a look at that and, you know, they can reach out, subscribe to my newsletter, reply to the newsletter, go straight to my inbox, whatever they want. Um, I'm always an open door and, and interested in hearing what's going on out there.
0: Awesome. Well, I'll try try not to draw you into too many more fights with Bitcoin as a, about <coughs> your stuff. Yeah, think, it's all it was, good. Uh, the, uh, well, I won't call him out here, but someone was calling it straw man arguments, but I, I think he was... I think he's a trump uh, voter and i think he was disappointed but listen look good luck with everything you're doing honestly it's fantastic i absolutely love the email I'm, I'm more than happy to be paying for it and i hope hope a few people listen to this sign up and check it out and uh, anything i can ever do just reach out man
1: awesome thanks so much man i appreciate it all
0: right peace out take care thank you for listening to defiance i hope you enjoyed that interview with isaac soul finding unbiased news is almost impossible and i really value the work isaac does it helped me with my research for chaos and also i'm signed up i am a customer of tangle now i really appreciate the work he is doing to help people understand both sides of the arguments something that's very difficult you know with this politics stuff we all get very passionate we'll get very defensive and But we can clearly see this is not working. So I do appreciate the work Isaac is doing. Please do go and check out his website. The links are in the show notes. Go and check out his work. Support it if you can. You know Isaac can do this great work because people support him. I also do want to thank my sponsor Kraken, the best place to buy Bitcoin. Consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange. Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. You can find out more at kraken.com, which is K-R-A-K-E-N.com. Also, as I said in the intro, if you want to reach out to me, my email address is peter at defiance.news. Outside of that, have a great week and I will see you all soon.